Episode 22, so if you guys want to go back and check that episode out, Mr. Matt Starley. I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm doing good. It's good to get on the line with you and talk some bow hunting. Yeah, man. I'm uh, always excited to do that. We 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 pretty much do that a couple times a week anyway, the two of us. <laughs> I know. I know. And it's been... Uh, you know, it's been less on my mind as bow hunting as normally just consumes me like every day. And just with the, you know, everything that's happened in the world recently, yeah, uh, it's definitely an escape, but it, it has become um, <laughs> less of a thought most of the days. And so when I do get to revisit back with you, I mean, man, it just, it's, it's almost like therapy because it just takes your mind out of the current situation and what's going on. Yeah, we are living in a crazy time right now, for sure. Um, so you uh, have made the switch from a right-handed shooter to a left-handed shooter recently, and I know several guys that have done that. 
Um, why don't we talk a little bit about why you did that and how that's going? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I can thank you for that probably more than anybody, but, um, our other, uh, buddy, Chad Brown, he, he had done it before. And, uh, I had known since I was probably about 12 or four, 12, 13, 14 years of age there. Um, I had already been shooting a bow, you know, since I was probably five or six years old and always shot right-handed, but I, I had found out that I was left eye dominant. And at the time, you know, I was so, you know, ingrained into a routine. I shot a compound then too anyway. So I just closed my left eye and I would shoot with uh, my right eye only. And, uh, you know, I just made do with it. Um, and then as I started shooting traditional, you know, I, I was doing the same thing and it was seemed to work just fine. I mean, I, I would consider myself to be a decent shot right-handed. Um, you know, I, I, but what I started noticing is uh, the more I shot instinctive, you know, I have to close my left eye to look down the shaft and get my line of sight. And, uh, when you're looking at your target or an animal, um, with your normal vision, and then you go to draw and, and to kind of focus in, it's this whole entire almost change of focus and vision. And it, it happened so naturally, I didn't really think about it. But what I noticed more than anything is that my right eye being the not dominant eye was not as clear. My vision in it isn't as good. And uh, when it was like early in the morning or late at night, I couldn't see detail as well. And it just seemed like uh, as I'm getting older, you know, the eyesight is not getting better. And I thought about it and I just was like, you know what, I need to take this a little more seriously now. And, you know, I'm still relatively young into shooting a bow, especially a traditional bow that I could start left-handed and start using uh, my good eye and just re-equilibrate everything. And I never really seriously wanted to do that until I had seen that other people had d done it themselves and like Chad in particular had done it. And he was really the one that kind of pushed me to, uh, to want to do it myself. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Chad Brown, that's Carson's brother. He, he, he made the switch, I don't know, three or four years ago and his shooting, you know, really improved a lot. Um, my good buddy, Nick Prescott, uh, he made the switch about a month or two before you did. And, um, he was always doing weird stuff. Like, I don't, like if he would shoot his bow for a few weeks, the arrows would go way off cause he wouldn't close one eye. And I was always catching him like, why are you got that eye closed? And it took him, he didn't even realize he was left eye dominant for, for a few, for several years. But, um, I think it's worth it because under crunch time, you just, you don't have to make that like that change in vision like you talk about. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely since I've switched, that's a benefit I've noticed is like when you're picking your spot and you're focusing on the target, that focus never changes from the time you are looking at the animal to the time you're drawn back. And, and it just helps maintain that focus, um, which I think is valuable, especially if you're an instinctive shooter um, it really does seem to just make a difference. Um, the other one that I've noticed the the really probably the even bigger benefit to me has been just the fact that I don't have preset motor programming from shooting since I was five years old. Like I, when I started shooting a bow, 
I was probably like most of the people out there where you just pulled back to where it felt good and shot. And over time, you know, you started to learn some things and develop anchor point and consistent things to help your accuracy. But even then when I shot right handed, my one thing I had always done was my, my bow arm was fairly bent. And I, I did that with a compound so that I didn't have to wear an arm guard and I wouldn't worry, have to worry about my string hitting my jacket. And that's just how I always shot. And they kind of transferred over to um, shooting a, a longbow and a recurve. I had kind of done the same thing. And the other thing I noticed is, uh, I don't know if it was because of a release or what that I had shot with for so long, but like I, my back was engaged, but I didn't fully have the uh, proper alignment. Like my right arm was not, you know, back and in a good line with my bow arm, like that T they talk about. And, um, it didn't really affect me too much. I still could shoot. I could still shoot, you know, pretty accurately and, and shoot pretty good. But one thing that I've benefited from switching was starting with a blank slate. And it's been really, really fun because it's almost like starting, you know, just archery all over again. And I, uh, I, uh, subscribed to the, uh, that roots, um, it's, uh, the push podcast puts it, puts it out there, but it's basically a video series, um, put on by, um, Jamie Blackman and, uh, Rod Jenkins, and they break down the whole shot sequence from, you know, your stance, to alignment, grip, your finger, addressing the string, you know, anchor, uh, back tension, fall through, and they have, uh, you know, a, a bunch of drills that they, um, go through. And so when, when I decided to do it, uh, it was basically at the start of the year, I bought a, uh, a cheap recurve that's, um, you know, it was like $140. It's kind of like a Samick Sage. It wasn't that brand, but similar to it. And, and I started watching those videos and I just went into the room at like five feet and wasn't looking at aiming or anything. I was just trying to break down each thing and you would do reps, you know, of your stance and then you do reps of your, um, you know, your uh, alignment and reps with just the bow hand and reps with just focusing on your, uh, how you uh, address the string and same with the back tension and all those things. And, and, uh, you know, doing that really helped me, I feel like get a good foundation um, of what good alignment and good form is. And, you know, I'm not sure um, that that's going to play a huge effect in my accuracy but i know that it's changed my draw length a lot like this me having proper landing before i was a, a 30 inch draw right-handed and right now i'm right at 32 inches um and i've noticed when i video my shot left-handed versus right that my alignment looks way better and it feels like my back i think my back tension in that wall that i'm hitting is a lot more definitive where before it was probably a little more spongy and i relied on a clicker a lot right-handed which probably helped with that and you know so there, those are some of the benefits i've seen from it besides the vision part i think a big part is just being able to like get rid of bad habits and just start from square one yeah um, i think i think that that's huge and two inch gain and draw length who doesn't want that <laughs> yeah if you could get it why not yeah they'll, I, I mean it is a little bit uh, bittersweet because it really throws off your whole arrow like setup you yeah. know when you get a whole another two inches that's one thing that i've 
yeah, I'm dealing with now. You're at the end of like all the carbons are, most of them are 32 inches. Some of them are 33 and 34, but most of them are 32 inches and wood arrows are hard. You know, you have to get them footed and yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, spoke with Andy cause I wanted to try shooting wood arrows this year and he, uh, you know, Sherwood shafts, they, they don't go long enough for my draw. So we had to end up getting going with an alternative. And so I've got a dozen of those. And he said that, um, Carson, those guys are working on changing their uh, setup so that hopefully here in the near future, they'll be getting them uh, at longer lengths. Oh, but okay. that was, that, that was one of the, one of the things that I've dealt with recently, but I do have some arrows some some, um, some uh, wapiti shafts that I'm going to be fletching up here soon and start shooting. So I'm excited about that. Fun. And uh, you treated yourself to a new custom stick. Well, I, yeah, I had two bows in the queue. I, uh, I just absolutely love my longbow that I had uh, from Liberty Longbows that Alan Boyce made me. That's what I hunted with last year and got my buck with last year. And the thing is just so quiet. It's just a dream to shoot. It's really lightweight. It's just unbelievably beautiful two piece. Um, it's a 66 inch, uh, longbow at 30 inches. It was 50 pounds. And it was, um, uh, the, it's the English, right? Correct. Yeah. English. It's a two piece. So it's got his bow bolt system in there that, mm -hmm. uh, comes apart with the, and, Man, I just love that bow. It's so quiet. The, you know, the only hesitation I have with hunting it with it, especially here on the coast, is just it's so long. And so when you're in the brush, you know, but most of our bows are pretty long anyway. So 60 to 66 inches, it's not a huge difference. But that would be my only my only thing that I, I'm not in love with about it. Besides that, I, that bow is just awesome. And, and it's not the fastest bow, but it is so quiet then and, and it shoots nice and it feels really nice to draw. Well, um, I, um, with a 32 inch draw, you're going to have a hard press finding a bow shorter than 64 inches of, from any make and model, I would imagine. No, you're, you're dead on there. I mean, as I've, I have a 60 inch winger, which is a really nice bow too, but I do notice that, you know, it's, it shoots really nice for how short it is. That's not the problem. It's that finger pinch that becomes but, more of an issue. But you were shooting it back that far. two inches shorter. I was shooting it two inches shorter. Yeah. Right-handed. And, yeah. and it was, and it, it shot pretty good. Honestly, I didn't have too bad a finger pinch with it. Sure. Um, I was really impressed, but. But two inches is a but, lot more. <laughs> like yeah a lot so more. it is a lot more you're right yeah. and you know to get back to your question this year so i definitely wanted alan to make me a bow um basically a replica of what i was using before in english a two-piece english and um but in the in uh, the, in the wrong-handed version exactly <laughs> the backwards left-handed version yeah and um i wanted to I uh, have the, the same length, 66 inches, but uh, I was having to make it 50, I think it's 51 pounds at 31 inches. So um, at 32, it's probably, you know, whatever, 53, Three, yeah, 54. Yeah. So, um, so I had got on the list for that. And then I also, after talking with you, I started looking into Tolkien and they make, you know, recurves and longbows and you really like the uh, Super D and I was looking at that and, you know, conversing with you, you definitely said, Hey, you should look at the 
SS 64, which is their like super static recurve, which normally, um, on most of them, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong, you're way more knowledgeable about it than I am, but the, those bows typically have like a really spongy back wall and they're like crazy limb design and almost like having let off when you draw back and they really perform well is their, their advantage. But the cool thing about this one, um, you know, and I hadn't shot it, but I had looked into it and you had talked to people about it and it sounded like it, it was not like a lot of those super static recurves. No, I there. think actually, um, it's the super hooks that have the, the extreme let off feel and the really spongy back wall and, okay. and static is like the non-working hook and it, it has more of like a lever feel, but more like a firm longbow in the back. Like from what I've learned. See. Okay. Yeah. And see, yeah. no, and that sounds right. I mean, I'm not honestly not that yeah. I don't know. Yeah. on it, but I do, I, I do know that. So I ended up looking at it and I thought, you know what? I, I liked a longbow more before right-handed. I don't know why, if it was the way I was gripping or shooting, but I just seemed to shoot it better than yeah. a recurve. I think it had a lot to do with the grip and I don't know, maybe just as the fact that it's more forgiving. Um, but as I was changed my form and was shooting with that cheaper recurve, you know, I was like, man, you know, I think uh, I should try a recurve and a longbow. So uh, that SS64 is made for a longer draw, guys, you know, beyond 31 inches to uh, 64 inches long. And uh, but when it's uh, strong, it's like right under 62. It's like 61 and a half or something like that inches long, which is nice. So it's shorter in that regard. It's going to be faster than a longbow. And I thought, you know what, why don't I get one of each and I can shoot them both and see which one I, I want to hunt with. And, uh, you know, I ended up, uh, got on the list for both of them and, uh, Dan, they're extremely efficient. I mean, he said when I ordered it, um, put some money down and he, uh, he said, oh yeah, we'll have that to you in, a, in about a month. And, uh, I was pretty blown away by that, but it, it did, it showed up in a month and, um, and Alan, he's very, you know, he's really quick too, compared to a lot of custom boyers out there. Um, but what happened with the whole situation, you know, that this, all this happened, I had to end up closing my business and laying my employees off in the middle of March. And I'd already got my bow back from Dan. And so I was, was shooting that, but, you know, Alan reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, how are you doing? And I told him about my business and he said that, uh, you know, he said, well, you know, I, I told him that I want to get the bow still. I hadn't put any money down on it and he had just started working on it. Um, I said, you know, but I can't, I, right now, I just don't think it's responsible for me to be paying that kind of money, you know, on a, on a bow when I need to, you know, really focus on um, preserving income for my family and, and taking care of, you know, those things. And Alan's just one of the kindest people you ever meet. He, you know, he said that uh, he's like, Oh, I totally understand. He said, I'm going to keep making it for you. And, you just let me know. And while things go by, you know, time goes by and about a month later, <clears throat> I get a package in the mail and it's that bow that Alan made. And he sent me a message and said, you know, that he had told me, he's like, I'm just going to send you the bow and you can just pay me when things get back to normal and you're comfortable. He's like, you don't need to worry about it or stress about it. And I just, you know, like for somebody to do that, it just truly speaks of how, these men in the traditional community, you know, that was one of the things that I had heard from you guys before I, you know, as I first started shooting at traditional bows, just the, 
character of the people that you come across um, yeah. uh, in this community. And the quality. Alan's a perfect, yeah, Alan's a perfect example of that character. He is so willing to help anybody. Um, he will go above and beyond. And, uh, you know, all the guys I've met, Andy um, is very, very similar. And uh, all the guys I've met, it's just incredible. Like that is something that I think a lot of people, you don't really understand until you um, start surrounding yourself around those types of people. You, it really does speak true. Yeah, the, the traditional community is like next level. I, the first 3D shoot I ever went to, it was a traditional only one here in Oregon. I was blown away. I was like, I cannot believe how nice all these people are. Like, it is so strange. Um, and then it just gets more, it, it's, just, it's just how it is. It just really attracts a high caliber of man, I, I believe. And, and guys that are willing to... Uh, to take the road less traveled, um, you know, make time for other guys to do the same. It seems. Yeah. You know, you know, I've, I've thought about it and I've thought, you know, why would that be? It just seems interesting to me that that would be the case. And, you know, I might be wrong in my conclusions, but, you know, I feel like for those of us that are into the traditional archery and, and like just truly love it, you know, it's a, it's a love of, of hunting and what it is and, and really, in my opinion, what it should be about being, not being about just being the most efficient killer in the world, you know, and getting, um, and just getting, having success every time it's about, you know, enjoying the difficulty in the craft and it's about respecting the game and the animals. And it's about, and I think that, you know, the truth of, of, what we do as hunters over time, you know, will, it, it comes out in who you are. And I think that because we really are in it for the right reasons, I should say, um, it really, and not saying that other people aren't, I'm not trying to say other hunters aren't in it for the right reasons because they definitely are. And, and yeah, but I just think that when you hunt this way, it really makes you appreciate those things that, um, sometimes can be missed if you're, if you're, you know, out there and you're getting an animal the first time or two, or maybe even it's just, um, you know, you're shooting and you can shoot very accurately, very easily. I, I just think we really enjoy the process and I think that attracts a certain type of individual. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head on that one for sure. So, uh, as far as your setup goes, uh, so you're shooting the SS 64, uh, which is the Tolkien it's designed for the long draw and you're shooting, uh, are you going to shoot woods this year or you got carbons for it or what's your, what's your, uh, kind of arrow and broadhead, uh, set up for this year, you think? Well, it's still to be determined. I haven't even, you know, I, I had some wood arrows, some test arrows that Andy had and I was getting good flight with them and was shooting those. Um, there was an 8085 duck fur shaft, Sherwood shaft, but it wasn't long. It, it basically, I was drawn almost to the tip of the point. So it wasn't quite like the exact arrow I'm going to have set up. Yeah. But, I saw that video. You were drawing the tip into the shelf of the bow. I was like, ah, <laughs> yeah. well, I only had one of those arrows and I lost it. So right now I have yeah. nothing, but I've, I just got a dozen from Andy. They, uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fletch them up and put tips on them. And I've got 
80, 85 shafts. They are 33 inches long. And I've got a 125 and a 145 point because mm-hmm. I was shooting a one a 165 point on those ones that were short yeah, and they were flying good. So I figured by lengthening that shaft out a few inches, I'm going to need a little, it's going to be weaker, right? So I'm going to yeah. need a little lighter point weight to counterbalance that. So, um, so I'm going to try a 125 and a 145, which would be perfect. Cause that's what I want to use is probably either. I like those, uh, those Zwicky mm-hmm. Eskimos, like yep. that's honestly probably something like that or a style similar to that is mm-hmm. probably what I'm going to try to shoot and see if I can get it accurate and flying good. And then that's what I'm going to try this year. Nice. I like it. Uh, yeah. Well, I uh, did, go ahead. I did shoot some carbons out of it and they weren't the quite the right length. And I, I didn't really play with them to try to get them to fly well. But <clears throat> the one thing I've noticed I'm going to have to get stiffer spine carbons if I'm going to run a heavier broadhead weight like I have been running, like a 185 or, you know, or 200-grain broadhead. I'm going to need stiffer spine. But the ones that I did shoot out of that SS were extremely loud compared to the wood arrows. I did notice that. Yeah. And so it's like I'm going to have to figure out a way to make – if I do end up going with carbons, like if I just don't like the whole wood thing, then – I'm going to have to figure out getting some, you know, heavier spine shafts, but I'm also think I'm going to have to put some weight tubing in there to try to quiet that bow down. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough something. to get them. To, yeah. With the solid wood, they're just so quiet. I, I think you'll have success with, uh, either the Wapiti's or some footed, uh, Sherwoods. I think you'll really like them. And if you're willing to shoot 125s, you're not going to have a problem getting something to fly. So I think that'll yeah. be good. Yeah. For me, um, I don't know. I'm kind of a hot mess right now. Uh, I was shooting my Super D really, really well last year, and I took a little bit of a break, uh, longer than normal. I don't know after season there, and man, you really have to keep up on your uh, business shooting a D-shaped longbow. Um, I I can shoot it really well out to twenty yards still. But man, I tried to. I went shooting some 3D with uh, Jack Lander, our buddy, and you start getting out there some of those fun distances, 35, 40, 45 yards. I uh, it was just a hot mess, and I've been thinking I, I need to try something different. And you just got that new uh, recurve, and so I was talking with uh, Cody Greenwood over at uh, the Trad Lab. And he had an SS64, and he sent it out to me to give it a try, and it was an older one. And I I shot it a little bit, and it I, I liked it, but my draw is just not long enough to get it to, to do what it needs to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's designed, I think, for 31 to 33 inches. And so I was talking with uh, Jared Tolke, and he said that him and his dad uh, had a new design called the SSLR, stands for long, long riser, super static long riser, which is uh, more for like, I think, 29 to 31. And I have like about a 30-inch draw, so more for my wheelhouse. So I've been talking with them, and they're going to ship me out one of those off of their uh, stock bow page that they just finished. Um, and they're building a Chinook for me to try cause they don't have a stock one in my specs. And so I got a, um, a 
50 style 60 inch recurve I think it's yeah, the Chinook and then that SS64LR should be here in about three, ah, four or five weeks or something like that um, <laughs> and so not soon enough not soon enough <laughs> He said that if I, if I like the Chinook, it'll be built to my specs, and so I could just buy that one. And then if not, if I like the LR, I'm gonna have to like order one because it's not gonna. I want a two piece, and so on and so forth. And so, and it's a few pounds lighter than I wanted, so I'll have to wait. Go on another waiting list. But that's <laughs> the name of that game. You know, you know who, you know what Bob would be saying right now. He's like, "Why are you guys such tinkers?" He, uh, you know, find yeah. something that you like and just stick with it. <laughs> yeah, Bob has switched bows though uh, every year for the last couple. Like he's three years, he's had a different bow each year. So he doesn't has have, he? Okay, I didn't, I didn't realize that he doesn't got. A, he he says that, but he was shooting a a, a blacktail recurve, and he sold it, and he got a Robertson, and then. He, he went and got another blacktail recurve. So he it is fun. I mean, it's fun shooting new bows. I think that's part of the excitement with traditional archery, right? Is like yeah, like getting your arrow tuned perfect for that bow and getting it all set up and then learning it and shooting it. I mean, that process. There's something that's extremely rewarding about that process. And I, I don't need a recurve because I'm shooting uh, my Allen Boyce uh, Edge. No. Chief, yeah, because I, I used to have an edge, but now I'm shooting a chief. I have a chief from Allen, and I'm shooting lights out with that thing out there at 35 and 40 yards. So, uh, dude, those, the bow, the bow that he made me is so beautiful. I mean, it is one of the prettiest bows I've seen. And I know I talked to him at the banquet this year, and he, the traditional archers of Oregon banquet, and he had some just amazing bows in there and he really, I could tell he put his heart and soul into it. Cause it, I mean, it is just, it's spectacular. Uh, I, I'm so excited to shoot it. No, um, I haven't shot it yet, but I'm can't wait. Nobody builds a prettier bow in my opinion. I mean, man, Alan's been collecting the best Oregon woods for like 30 years. He has a collection of Myrtle and you and maple that's next level. I mean, it's unbelievable the the wood he has and and uh, and his ability to uh, pick combinations out and his craftsmanship. Yeah. I mean, yeah, my I love my longbow. Um, I just have I was thinking about it and I've owned ten bows since I've been shooting traditional archery, and I only keep you know two around. A, you know, I, I get rid of them, but I only I think I have two right now. But I've owned ten, and I think. Two of them were recurves. The rest of them were longbows. So I'm kind of excited to... I haven't shot a recurve, right? That's what I'm saying, in a long, long time. And just yeah. just you kind of you getting one and me uh, shooting a few other people's, I'm kind of excited to kind of play with the recurve, I think. Well, I think, uh, you know, obviously I've got the best of both worlds. I get to shoot both and see which one I like. Well, same with you. I know you've yeah. got a longbow that you can yeah. shoot, but... Um, well, I got yeah, two. I mean, I got, I, I got the Super D yeah. and and the and the hybrid uh, Liberty. Um, so yeah. I, th I think a guy should have one of everything in his collection, I suppose. Well, it's definitely. I think you you do get kind of drawn as you shoot more. I I mean, 
I don't know, you might go back and forth, but it just seems like you do get drawn into a certain um, category more so than, more than the other. But that doesn't mean, I mean, guys switch all the time, right? Yeah, the, I mean. The I... SS64, I have shot that, um, and that bow is fast, and it is very nice to shoot. It's really smooth. I think that those guys have um that bow is just dialed in for for me and my draw anyway like it throws a wood arrow super fast i couldn't believe how fast it was i couldn't believe and it it's either. really quiet yeah i couldn't believe it either like i was like i i have some woodies that are 650 grains and i have a few uh, i have some sets that are right around that 700 grain mark and i pulled out some of the 700 grain arrows and i could not believe how fast it could chuck that uh 700 grain arrow i was i was blown away yeah i mean for for uh, for how heavy that arrow is and being a wood arrow and being um you know a traditional bow i was like man this thing is it is a flat shooting bow yeah and uh, and it feels really nice like the draw cycle on it is very comfortable and it's uh it's not a spongy back wall but it's not like there's not a lot of stack. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just a dream to shoot. And so, you know, uh, it's going to probably, I don't know what I'm going to end up hunting with, if it's going to be Alan's bow or that bow, but they both are beautiful. I mean, um, Dan's bow is extremely beautiful too. I mean, it's a very, uh, real pretty bow. It's a two piece. Um, and, uh, it's got a really nice, cool, different grip on it, but I, I like it. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to shoot them both, and I plan on trying to shoot woods through them both, and and just kind of going from there and see which one I like. Yeah, I like it. So, last uh, time we had you on was several years back, and you'd uh, killed your first bull. Uh, the first year you hunted with the traditional bow, right? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, I had tried it, I think a few years prior yeah. just for one, like for one week during elk season. And, yeah. and, and, uh, but yeah, that was the first year I committed and yeah. I, I did, I did get one, but it was like, I think I don't remember exactly. I think I hunted 16 days before I got one. Yeah. So, so, was, so you guys can go back to episode 22 and learn a little bit more about that hunt. Um, and then I know you, uh, you were able to kill a bull again the following year. Yeah, yeah. The next year, I uh, I got one with that winger actually that I bought from Trent. Um, yeah, that sixty inch, and uh, yeah, that was that was a pretty incredible deal. I honestly um, didn't think I was, you know, it was earlier in the season, but the the stock that I killed it on, I thought there's no way I this is going to happen. But I was like, well, there's only one way to try, you know, find out and let's try, and it it, it worked out. It was crazy. Yeah, that's 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 super awesome. Um, well, I know that uh, we spent the predominant uh, of our time together speaking and talking about uh, the beloved elusive black-tailed deer. And as I sit here looking at it raining, pouring outside, it still looks like black-tail weather to me. Um, <laughs> I, we tried to record this podcast. We did record this podcast in camp. Back in November, we wanted to do a blacktail podcast uh, after you harvest your incredible buck this year, and some idiot pushed the wrong button on the recorder, and we didn't get a recording. 
and it was like a three hour recording. So uh, that guy, I fired that guy and um, we'll try again. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, um, it would have been cool to hear what we talked about. I mean, I was so tired that night. It was, that was a really long day. And I remember just not feeling well because I was kind of, I was battling some sickness at the time, but uh, it would have been cool to look back on that. But at the same time, you know, to be able to talk about what happened today will be cool too. Cause yeah, so we you know, we've had time to kind of process it and, and go through the rest of the season too. So, so let's kind of, kind of, I don't want to go too far back, but hi, basically me and Matt, it's probably been mentioned before, but we met actually via Instagram and, um, Basically, it was through, you know, paying attention to each other's content uh, through blacktail hunting. Um, and um, we started talking about blacktails and, and, and traditional bows like we've been doing here. And Yeah. And, hey, do you care if I say something about that, too? Because I just think it's a good word for – I know a lot of the guys listening to this podcast are traditional archers. And um, at the time – I was wanting to get into traditional archery, but I didn't know anybody. And, uh, I didn't know, you know, I was well into archery. I had lots of hunting friends, but you know, a lot of times we don't want to share stuff, you know, cause we don't want to project like we're just trying to promote ourselves or anything. But in this instance, by me seeing, um, I saw a picture of James that with his buck that he had killed, he killed a nice black tail on the coast with a, a longbow. And when I saw that picture and my, all my hunting friends, and I know lots of people, n- nobody that I knew had done that or, or even hunted like that. And that intrigued me to reach out to him and to reach out to you, James. But I think that it's important to know that, you know, uh, just sharing a picture doesn't mean that you are, you know, you're trying to say, look at me, but I, I think that it, it can be a good thing in the sense that it'll, it'll show other people, you know, um, that it can be done and it can bring people together too, because like our friendship was, was started with that is just uh, a mutual interest in, in blacktail hunting and doing it with a recurve. That, that just made me think of that. You telling the story. Yeah. And just hearing you say that makes me think about like how, our common ground and Instagram, you know, is how I found you and Joaquin and kind of in the same time, two of my uh, great friends that, uh, you know, I cherish to have. And, and these aren't friends like that. I say they're my friends cause we follow each other. I mean, these are people I spend time with in real life. Um, but yeah. it was, it was because of social media, which is interesting because I'm actually, like on a two month break from social media, if you guys haven't noticed, Bob's been running the TradQuest page and I'd pulled my personal uh, page off. I just kind of got tired of all the self promotion and just, I don't know, the internet's a weird place, but at the same time, I think I got to think back about the great things it's brought to me, you know, like your friendship and, and other people. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll probably have to get back on there eventually. And, and, uh, uh, after my hiatus and try to get a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when it gets to be blacktail season, you got to get on there and at least share what's going on in the woods. Yeah. So <laughs> over the years we, uh, 
hadn't had a chance to hunt together, but we were always kind of wanting to make plans. And we live both uh, uh, on the Oregon coast area, but we're about, I don't know, four or five hours apart. Um, and just never really, uh, just each year it didn't work out. And so last year, everything was lined up, was lining up for us to get to hunt together uh, in our favorite blacktail unit, uh, which is not uh, near neither of our homes. And so we, uh, you know, we kind of put it together. I, I there at the last second because of my work, I didn't think it was going to work, but we were able to get together for, for a few days. And leading up to that, I think we were spending like, we'd wait till our families go to bed at night and we were spending like two, three, four hours at night, just <laughs> going over strategy, uh, talking about saddles and tree stands and, and sending each other onyx pins and looking at topos and i mean we were really, really geeking out on our uh uh our strategic plans for the hunt and talking about this hunter and that hunter and this tactic and that call and uh yeah it was you know we we were really uh planning big so it, it was it was fun obsessed yeah yeah yeah, it seems like it gets, oh, I don't know. I mean, every year I'm like, gosh, was it, I feel like I'm worse this year than I was last year. Like it just gets more and more into it and excited about it. But like, that's a good thing, right? Oh, yeah. It was, it was cool. I mean, from my end, I mean, yeah, I wanted to meet up and hunt with you. We weren't really sure if it'd be elk. Or obviously, we love blacktail hunting and, and have the same interest there. I was kind of upset because, you know, I, I really was hoping you'd be able to come and then your schedule changed and it was looking like you weren't going to be able to go, which, um, I've the last few, two years I've gone down there. I've brought my buddy, Dave, who he has never, he was new to bow hunting and he's been using a compound when we go down there, but he's been a wrestle hunter his whole life, but loves blacktail. And, and he's just an awesome guy and loves going down there. So it was me and him were headed down there and I didn't know if you were actually going to be able to join and then kind of, last minute your schedule changed and you were able to come down which was awesome yeah and it's one of my favorite places to be in november for sure i mean just the drive down there you know you're getting close when you start seeing carcasses on the side of the road with their heads cut off uh the the state department you know the osp will cut all the heads of the bucks that get ran over because you can't keep a deadhead in, in the state of Oregon. So you start seeing all these dead bucks with their heads cut off on the sides of the road and on the highway, you know, you know that the rut is on and you know, you're headed to a, an area that actually has a, a good deer population because hunting blacktails uh, where you live and where I live, there's a lot less deer per square mile. So uh, it's always exciting to go hunt deer in deer country and, um, you know, when that sweet November is in the air, it's, it's hard to beat. Yeah. I mean, that is, there's something to be said. It's, it's funny. Cause like you said today, it's all rainy and cloudy and it's like, normally it'd be a miserable time to be out, you know, and, and you probably wouldn't be excited about, but they're, you know, be excited about being out in the woods, but there's something about that time of year when it's raining and it's dark out and the days are getting short and it just, you know, the leaves have all fallen off. You got 
Um, and you just visualize that white face, you know, creeping through the, the timber, through the oaks. It's pretty, uh, it's hard not to get excited thinking about it. <clears throat> it really is. Did, did, so I think we showed up on the same day, right? Yeah. We showed up on the same day. You guys got there a little bit before me. Yeah. Yeah. Since... We met, we met, I think later in the evening after dark right i think we met at yeah camp. Well, you uh, you guys you guys brought your trailer down and set up uh your camp trailer in a uh, convenient uh rv park right yeah yeah we yeah. we had a you know and i hadn't done that in the past but it worked it worked in this instance it was a good central location to where we were hunting we we're i mean we'd be driving some days we'd be driving aways but um it was a nice central spot to kind of all the areas that we wanted to hunt so Yes. We had uh, we had that, and then uh, I had gotten down there that evening, and the goal was to go check out. There was a few new spots that I really thought looked good on the topo and, and that I had never been to. <clears throat> and because it was kind of a get down there middle of the day, set up camp, and not have a ton of time, I thought that would be a good day to go in there and just get some boots on the ground and see what the sign looked like in there. And, and I'm glad I did that because we went in there into that spot, and they had just, uh, it was national forest and they had just heavily logged it and there was, you know, debris everywhere. It was all torn up and there, there wasn't a ton of sign. And, uh, so we ended up going back to camp and you know, it was nice. So, I mean, we were able to kind of go to a different, uh, a different spot the, the following day because of that. And is this, this is your second year, uh, hunting running gun mobile tree stand hunting or is this your first season this is your yeah, second i would say it was really my second year because yeah. last the year before they hunted down there in the same area and we hunted for i want to say we we hunted a whole week down there um and i had a mobile set up a lone wolf tree stand with their with the lone wolf sticks and a stick quiver and you know, I had a setup on my XL Mountain Gear pack. I had a, I mean, it was a good setup. It was, uh, uh, it was probably about 20, 25 pounds, uh, you know, with all my stuff for the day and all the climbing yeah, apparatus like and harness yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, and then if you put some food and water in there, I actually probably had about a 35, 40 pound pack, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, you know, because yeah, yeah, clothes and all the extra clothes you need to stay warm out there and, um, you know, we put on a ton of miles. I can't remember what the total was, but I want to say in a week, I think we hiked almost 70 miles and that was spending most of the day sitting. So we'd be, you know, we hiked into a wilderness area and hunted in there for, and stayed the night in there and would tree stand hunt and, uh, you know, in, in different locations. And <clears throat> basically we're just kind of jumping around into er new areas every day, um, trying to get on fresh sign and, and get into an area where um, these bucks were moving at. Uh, we ended up not getting uh, a buck that year. The, we went early in the season, and it was really hot and really dry. The bucks were still rutting, but most of the rut was at night. And I did get an opportunity at a nice four-point the first evening we were there. Uh, we had hiked into the spot, and and uh, it just it didn't work out on the buck. I I missed him the first shot and he actually went around my tree and the the second shot was 
not ideal. I, I hit him. I'm honest. I didn't really know where I hit him, but I did not get good penetration. And, um, you know, we ended up not, not recovering the deer. I think the deer lived because the arrow came out pretty quick too. But, uh, regardless, we didn't have any luck there. And, um, this so, year. so this year, yeah. you guys went out and did some scouting. Um, I got to camp a few hours after you guys, and I had a spot close to camp because it was kind of like, well, I don't have a lot, a lot of light left. So I just ran to a close spot, and uh, I basically just went for a little walk down to the creek down there and saw a bunch of sign. I don't even think that I – I think I spotted some deer in some people's yards. I think is all I did, and I'd heard some turkeys, but I'd seen a bunch of deer sign in a in an area that I'd hunted before, so I kind of had that in my mind. And then I came back to camp. It got dark, came back to camp, and uh, you guys were there, and we started plotting and scheming for uh, what would be kind of our first day of the hunt. Yeah. So what was cool about this year was I had changed from that setup that mobile setup and switch to a saddle, which you and I had obviously had a lot of discussion about, uh, yeah, you know, see, the whitetail. See Matt, you, the white you, tail, you buy a recurve and now I got to buy a recurve. You got a saddle. Now I got to, <laughs> you're a bad influence on me, buddy. I'm going to tell my no, wife. You would have bought a saddle. You would have <laughs> bought a saddle then if you, if you could have, I know you were in a little different spot where it was like, yeah, yeah I don't really, you know, you didn't even know if you were going to hunt. So for you to buy one just didn't make sense. Um, well, actually, so, no. I, I I started at the there at the last second, starting to put it together, and I was like, "Oh, I think I'm gonna hunt. I think I should." And like everything was sold out. You could oh even yeah, buy that's anything. right. And you wanted to try you wanted to try them out and yeah. see which one you wanted. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and like like you couldn't find rope man ones or twos. You couldn't find a tethered manis. You couldn't find. Yeah, it was crazy. It was it's gotten so popular. So you you got your tell us what your setup is. Yeah, so I got I went with the tethered setup. I got the the uh, the tethered saddle. I didn't get the mantis platform. I ended up getting the uh, <clears throat> um, wild edge uh, steps and their platform. It's like a it's called the perch, and it's just a little basically platform that locks into their step. And so I switched to that this year, and that was it is awesome. Like saddle hunting, if anything that I learned this year is that I'm going to continue doing that. It's such a comfortable, versatile and like uh, effective way of hunting that I just can't see going back. But so I've got the wild edge steps um, and then the tethered saddle, which you can kind of, you know, a, a lot of guys listening to this probably haven't even heard of what a saddle is, <clears throat> but it's uh, you know, it's basically this harness you wear, if you've seen guys that climb trees, it's similar to that. <clears throat> you wear a harness and uh, you have a basically a rope that you attach yourself to the tree with. And there's lots of different ways you can climb the tree from screwing steps to um, strap steps to like these wild edge steps are individual single steps that you tie onto the tree and it cams over and locks in. And I have eight steps. They're a pound each. And then the saddle itself is a few pounds. It's one pound. The perch is like a pound. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, altogether, my weight on it's like 10, 12 pounds for my setup, um, which is way better. And it's a lot less bulky. It fits into my backpack, so I don't have this huge tree stand hanging on my back. 
and uh, you can climb up every, any tree with it, which is, I think, probably the coolest part. And you can change how you are sitting. You can get up and down the tree quickly, much quicker than with the tree stand. And I think what is even more important, a lot quieter. Just, uh, you know, the one thing that I've overlooked is, is getting in and out of an area real quietly. And the saddle has really helped in that this year, too. So Yeah, I think the saddle's quieter. I don't know if it's quicker, but I think it will be with enough practice. It's yeah, still, it was quicker for me it was still than take, my tree stand. It takes me a half an hour to get into the tree with a lone wolf, and it has taken me a half an hour to get into the tree with your with your uh, saddle setup. Yeah, see, I... Like, I didn't even use it that much, but the times that I used it, it probably took me 15 minutes, 20 minutes in the saddle, and it would take me 20 to 30 in the tree stand. Um, yeah. Just because pulling that tree stand up is so pain. It's so, you know, it's kind of time-consuming. You have to have a system for that, a rope. I mean, I'm sure there's guys that could be quicker at it than what I was. Because we, unfortunately, don't get to hunt deer all year out of it. Right. We get to hunt, like, what, 10 days, so we don't get yeah. quick and but yeah and you, you you sat in your saddle like a like a whole like 20 minutes in here was it 30 minutes well i got to sit the night before so that first night we did uh, go check out that area and it was all logged up and then there was another um there was another spot like right at dark i i basically got up and climbed up in this tree right before dark on this uh this ridge it was it was a cool spot is basically out at the end of this ridge where it dives off and there was uh, a big two squares of timber that connected together on their corners basically and there so and then there were clear cuts on each side so it was kind of like that timber um you know formed a funnel where those two corners came together and it was out on the tip of a ridge where it dives off which a lot of times you know we found that animals like to bed in those areas so that they have a good thermal advantage and and quick escape route and so i thought you know these deer are probably going to be coming out of the off the end of this and coming off this edge of this timber. And so uh, I climbed up there and sure enough, I had like the first night I was there, I had a couple deer come by that I never could see and they ended up winding me. <clears throat> and then uh, I had some deer come by right at dark that it, it was too late to shoot, but it was exciting. They went right under my stand. And I think that one of them probably was a buck, but I couldn't see it. Um, so that was the first night I did get to use it. And then, yeah, we met at camp and uh so it was we, the first night there we go for it so we uh well we just did dinner and and had planned to get up at 4 a.m and yep. we're, we're gonna all go up to this gate and we're gonna uh the three of us with our uh, i had a tree stand on my back dave had a, a preset stand hung uh in this area and you had your mobile set up and we were just going to go down there and kind of spread out and, and uh, kind of sit some pinch points uh, was kind of the, the game plan, right? Yeah. So this was a spot that I had hunted in the past. Um, the year prior, we went in there and there wasn't as much sign. Um, but the year before that, two years ago, Dave and I had some really good sits in there and there was lots of activity. So the tough thing about not living down there is you know you, you kind of have to go into these spots and read what's going on by looking at the sign and so that was our plan was we knew it was a good area to go into in the past and there's a lot of area which was kind of what for all three of us we needed some space to roam so my thought was 
let's go in there. I had uh, kind of some previous stand locations we'd sat that have been good. And so I thought if we get in there and see some sign, I could set, because uh, you had never been in there. Dave had been in there with me the previous years, so he knew where <clears throat> to go. So I figured we'd put Dave in his normal spot, and then I'd set you where I usually sit. And then my plan was uh, there was a spot that I had never been to that was really, really far in there, too far even with that, like the setup I had before with it where you're carrying a tree stand. Yeah. It's just so too far to carry a tree stand. And uh, But because I had this saddle set up, I felt like, you know what, I'll, I can get back in there with my saddle. It's basically just hiking around with a, you know, a, a pretty light backpack. So, so that, was, that was my, my plan was doing that. So, um, some things I learned right away on that morning. Um, one was I've always been kind of the guy to want, that wanted to have all of his gear ready, everything set and ready, parked at the gate that I want or the trailhead that I want or whatever it is and kind of wait till that first gray light because in my mind it's like oh don't go in there in the dark and spook game and you know you're not going to be able to figure out even what's going on and I've just had bad luck with going in after elk in the dark and running into them and then they leave the drainage or whatever I don't know so that's just always kind of been how I would operate. And you're like, yeah, we're getting up at four. And I'm like, four? For, for what? Uh, <laughs> and uh, you're wanting to get in there uh, well before the sun came up. And I thought, okay, well, that's fine. We'll try this out. And I thought I had a good headlamp. I learned I didn't. And I also uh, learned that, man, as far as deer go, we're walking down there with your big giant headlamp on and we're seeing deer and they're like relaxed in the dark and we're just walking past deer. And I'm like, now this is pretty cool. Like, so I've invested in a couple really large headlamps. Uh, Cause man, you can read, you know, I've heard Sankoviak talk about it, but in the dark with that bright headlamp, you can see the trails and the rubs and the scrapes and the, I mean, you can really see the sign in the dark better than you can in the daylight almost. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's something that, you know, I, I kind of learned that this year too. That's, that's just how I've always operated. And it's not, I wouldn't say that that's like something that I think the main, uh, the main reasons I like going out in the morning early like that are because for one i'm hunting public land and a lot of these areas are they're they're well-known spots they're not secrets and you know by getting out there at 4 a.m you're the first truck there nobody you know unless somebody really wants to come in there behind you they they sometimes do i've noticed but um you kind of you know are for one claiming that area for the day and getting able to get out there and not have to worry about other people but two, as giving it some time to settle down, I've noticed anytime you access a, a stand location, you know, even if you go in during the day, the chance of you spooking something is, is pretty good if you're in a good area, unless you just have a really dialed in entry and access points, which sometimes you can, sometimes you're forced to go in a certain way um, or take the long way around to try to, you know, be smart about it. But 
if you once you get in there, I feel like, and if you do jump anything, it, it's going to take a while for stuff to kind of settle back down again. And in the dark, that's something I have noticed. I mean, obviously, when we went in that morning, we walk in there and we saw a buck on a doe. Uh, and no, he was no, no, that was a couple. Of, that was a couple nights later. That was a was it really? Yeah, okay. that was a couple nights. Oh, you're right. We didn't yeah, see that was, anything that we were. Yeah, back no, but we day. but we did see some does walking down in there. And they were just relaxed. And I was like, holy moly, look at these deer, like, just chilled out um, yeah. that first morning. Yeah, it's so, interesting to see them. I've seen that on a few occasions where, no. like, we've seen them in the headlights. And they just kind of look at you like, like, what is going on? And, and this is my first year uh, mobile. I mean, I've tried a little bit of it, but but mostly I've always just hung my stands and, and hunted my stands. And so... You park at gray light, you slide into that tree, and then you get into your tree, and you're good. Well, when you when you need a half an hour to set up, and like you say, another half an hour to let things settle, um, and you're also trying to find sign and trying to figure out where you're going to hunt, you you kind of need a couple hours in the dark yeah. to, to take advantage yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you've never been there, I mean, especially if you've never been there, I still think that if you've never been to a spot, I I do prefer scouting it during the day just because you can oh. see, you know, like you know, but yeah. but if you if you're going in and you don't have anywhere else to go, you can, like you said, I, I knew the area, so I kind of knew where the rubs traditionally were, these rub lines were and stuff. So it was so going in there, I knew w- what to look uh, for. Have a 1200 uh uh lumen flashlight is that is that right lumen is that how they rate it yeah yep yeah because so we're walking down there crossing creeks we're going in there miles uh we 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 drop dave off at his spot we keep going in there further we see a spot that looks good for me and you're like yeah somewhere in there will be good and then you take off and I now go from having a giant head beam flood, flash floodlight to my little tiny headlamp. I couldn't see anything. You walked away and I'm standing in the dark and I'm like, I can't see rubs, deer. Tr- I can't see nothing with this light. So I, I pretty much had to sit there by a tree and wait for gray light just so I could find a place to set up at. So yeah, it's it's pretty hard to do in the dark if you if you don't have a proper light. Yeah, and I know there's guys that think that that does scare game, and they like getting the red light and all that. But it doesn't. From what we've seen, it's it's you know yeah. I, I think there are instances where it could hurt you, but at most part, I think it's essential. So I got set up uh, r- right I like right after first light. I got into the tree and with my lone wolf and um, I'm pretty good with that. I got into the tree pretty quick and um, I was set up awesome. I had like six mature buck rub rub line with two scrapes and I had this big rock outcropping to my back, uh, which was keeping my wind was going to that outcropping and it it really gave, I had really like a good wind situation or I knew animals weren't going to come from where my wind was coming from or going to. And, um, had a, uh, pretty, pretty good spot there. I think I heard a couple deer running around 
and I called uh, a hunter in. Uh, <laughs> and uh, then I got a text. I, I think it was before I called the hunter in or after I called the hunter in. I, I, I got a text from you. Yeah, I mean, it was, this was just the most, you know, incredible year for, for me. I mean, it, 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 I've hunted blacktail for a long time you know, from a tree stand and, and that's always been a dream of mine. And then like, honestly, the biggest dream I've had or, or like goal or aspiration as a hunter is to kill a mature blacktail with a, a longbow. That's been something I've dreamt about forever. And I just have always like thought, you know, if I could do that, uh, that would just be amazing. And <clears throat> it's kind of seemed un- unattainable. I mean, it's, it's it almost is. like a big horn, a big horn sheep, you know, it's like, it's like something that you dream of doing, but you don't know that you ever really will. But this day was pretty amazing. It's definitely the highlight of my hunting career. But um, I basically, so I dropped you off and I had to go in probably, I don't know, another half a mile or so from where you were, mile maybe most. <clears throat> and I went down and crossed this really steep drainage and have to climb up the other side where it's really steep. And, and we had fiddle farted around for a while trying to find you a spot and uh so by the time i got down there it was just starting to get light which i was like i was scrambling i mean i was trying to be quiet and luckily i hit this trail and the spot that i wanted to set up on is is this really steep ridge and it's like basically you cut a chunk out of this ridge there's a little bench out on the end of it and it's really close to what i would think would be good deer bedding and i had only I'd never actually been out to the actual stand location. I've shed hunted close to there, but I'd never been on it. But topographically, it just, it was, looked like the place to be for bucks to, you know, deer to be funneled through. So I snuck, I hit a good trail and I almost set up before there because there was some good trails crossing in this one area that I wanted to sit before too. And uh, I said, you know, I need to go check this spot out. It's further in there. And I really think that that's the spot I need to be. So I, I ended up making all the way in there just right as light was, it was, it was light already, but it had just gotten light. And, uh, I got up the tree, I put out some scent, um, and got up the tree pretty quickly. And I was sitting there and, uh, it was, I remember it was like seven twenty in the morning. And I had only been sitting there for maybe 10, 15 minutes. And it was just a bluebird day, no wind, uh, cold, really cold and clear. Um, but no wind and you could tell the sun was going to come out and it was going to be a pretty nice day. And, uh, I thought, you know, it's real quiet this morning. I, I kind of had to get in here and kind of disrupted things a little bit anyway. So I'm like, I might as well rattle just in case something's out there and, I don't know. I mean, I'm not huge on rattling when I'm set up, uh, but I thought if I'm going to do it, now's a good time to do it. The sound is carrying and uh, I just, I don't know. So I I rattled and I do a sequence for maybe a minute, minute and a half. I don't do it very long in case something's close. I've had bucks just storm right in on me while I'm still rattling and not like be ready. So I I did a, a quick sequence, set the horns down, grab my bow. I'm sitting there looking around. I don't see anything. I don't see anything. And so I ended up setting my bow back down and, um, probably, I don't know, five or 10 minutes later, I catch some movement, um, coming off the bench for, I thought these deer would come from and 
sure enough, I see some legs and it's just standing there. It's not moving. And I mean, the thing is just being really cautious and I could tell it's a deer. Um, and then it takes like two or three steps and then like stands there for like, I don't know, five minutes. It seemed like, it seemed like forever. And I'm like, man, what is it? Is it a doe? Is it a buck? Didn't you have some others pass you first though? No, no, I didn't. This was, that was after. Um, Okay. Okay. So, so I was sitting there and, um, that buck, you know, he's looking around, peering for like three or five minutes. And, you know, eventually moves close. He's coming closer to me and I, I could tell, I see some horns. Like I can tell it's a mature buck, which, you know, we had talked about what are we going to shoot? Are we going to shoot whatever? And, you know, I, at this point had not killed a deer with a traditional bow and I wasn't going to be super picky. Um, you know, I didn't want to shoot a, a yearling, but I, I was going to really shoot any decent buck. And I could tell that this buck was definitely fell into that category. So I, you know, I've got my bow and I'm ready. And the problem is I'm facing the tree, like on a saddle, you're facing the tree and the, the buck was kind of coming on the other side of the tree, which I shouldn't say is really a problem. That's actually probably a good thing because I was fairly, I was pretty hidden. Probably uh, probably not a good thing in a tree stand. No, definitely not a good thing in a tree stand, but with the saddle, you can move, you know, completely around the tree, which is one of the huge advantages. And as that buck went behind some brush, I did just that. I, I, I moved and positioned myself out to the side and got my bow ready to shoot because I could tell he was coming down this trail, or at least that's what he was looking like he was going to do. And uh, it took him forever. I bet you I watched him for 15, 20 minutes. He would stand for three or five minutes and peer around, and he was scanning the horizon, the landscape, just looking. And then he would put his head down, and he would pick up some of that Spanish moss and eat that Spanish moss. And he eventually came into plain sight, and when I saw his horns, I about had a coronary it was i i had seen this buck in front of me that i had dreamt of my entire like like you couldn't even create it up it was that cool of a deer his left side he had two main beams and he was a really nice big four point on his right side and his left side he was a really big three and he had this crazy second main beam that came up inside of his horns like 14 inches and forked and I mean, it just looked like, like something out of, out of your dreams, you know what I'm saying? And how wide, and how wide is he? I mean, at the time I didn't really, I couldn't tell that he was that wide, but I mean, you could just tell he had a big frame. I mean, he, the buck is 25 inches wide, I think yeah. or 25 and a half or yeah. something like that. But, but you know, that wasn't the part that jumped out at me. It was just this crazy configuration of this horn coming up. You're the like, second horn going in you're, between. You're looking for a fork and you're like, there's a fork and another fork and another fork and another, <laughs> lots of forks. <laughs> well, and it's, yeah, his whole second main beam was like the bases on it were big too. They weren't like, yeah. but I'm just sitting there looking at this animal going, you know, this might sound weird as a hunter but i'm like this is the most amazing animal i've ever seen in the woods and it's it's 25 yards away from me at this point and i sat there and and i'm watching him for quite a while i mean he's looking around and then he's eating and then he's he's not really moving much um but i the whole time i watched him i like part of me almost didn't want to shoot him because he's such an amazing buck you know but obviously i mean i've i've devoted you know 
a good portion of my life to having an opportunity like this that I, I wasn't questioning of whether yeah. I was going to shoot or not, but it, but it was just that magical of a, yeah. a moment for me. A little starstruck. It was, yeah, it was yeah. cool. Yeah, that is awesome. So, so as I'm sitting there, I'm posed and ready to shoot, but the buck, the, Are you, the buck's coming head, head uh, on. How's your nerves at this point? Like, I mean, now that you've realized. Oh, my heart, my heart, I could feel my heart beating out of my neck. I could feel it just doom, doom, doom. Like I could feel my pulse literally underneath my, like in my neck. Just, I've never felt it beat that hard. It was just going nuts. And cause I realized like at first I wasn't that shaken up, but then I saw the buck and I'm like, oh my gosh. And then. Then the buck started getting closer and I'm like, Oh my gosh. But I still, at this point, I'm like, I'm not going to get a shot because he's coming on this trail. He's coming right to me. I set up, there was three trails that constricted on this bench and I set up on the farthest one, the right where it dives off down to the ridge. And my wind was getting pulled off down into the Creek bottom in the morning, which was perfect because the deer coming off this bench out in front of me and my winds blowing down like completely away from where these trails are. Well, he came on the trail that I sat right over, which it's literally goes right under my tree. So he's walking like I'm, I'm basically, he was coming from behind the tree, but I had to move around the left side of it. And so I'm on the left side of it and ready posed to shoot him, but he's going to walk basically right under me if he keeps going and, and he's facing me. So it's a head on shot. So I have no shot. So I'm thinking like, if he comes underneath me, he's probably going to smell me. Um, you know, and bust and I might get a shot as he moves. This is what I'm thinking as I'm sitting here. So I'm not even thinking I'm going to really shoot, but he gets to like 17, 18 yards and he like looks around and I, I looking back at it now, I know he was looking for the bucks that were fighting. He heard the rattling, I think, and it just came to investigate it. And he was looking. That's why I think he was looking so hard. He was like convinced there had to be some bucks there somewhere. And so he was looking really hard and he didn't see anything when he got to 17 yards, you know, he had pinpointed that sound so good. He was basically right there and he didn't see anything. So he turned to his left, which was my right. And uh, he turned to his left and he took a step behind a tree and turned broadside. And right then I'm like, Holy cow, I'm going to get a shot, you know? So I draw back. And he steps out from behind that, that tree and stops for pauses for a second. And I remember just picking my spot. Just all I remember thinking was like, pick a spot and follow through. And, you know, and I'm pulling, pulling and I shoot with a clicker and I, you know, the, the shot, I'm, I'm pretty certain I hit my clicker, but I don't really, you know, I felt like the shot was good. Like I remember following through and just watching my aerial fly, like going, like what felt like right where I was looking, but literally it was one of those things like right as I released the arrow, he took a step forward and it hit him back, like it hit him perfect height, but back, like way back, like a full step length back. Like right when I released that arrow, he had taken that step forward and my heart sank as I watched that arrow just disappear into his body, like right in front of his back hip, basically and right what looked like like right in the guts and uh the arrow, he was, he was you know, quartering coming, quartering away right he was quartering well looking back at it now he was actually quartering too slightly okay because the way that the arrow went it went in front of the the hind quarter and it actually was 
stuck in the opposite quarter, like, like deeper into the hind quarter. But what happened was the buck jumped like when I shot and he bailed off this steep ridge. And when I say steep ridge, I mean, I'm sitting on the edge of it and I can see 150 yards down there and it's in big timber and it's like, it's straight down. I mean, it's super steep. The buck's taking bounds like 20, 30 feet in a bound to going down this hill. I mean, he just tore off down the hill so fast and he got about 120 yards down there and I can see him and he's like, he's squatting and he's like, you can tell he's like hunched up and he's hurting. And I watched him just kind of limp off heading down the ridge. And, you know, like my heart's just beating through my chest. I remember texting you and just telling you, like, you're not going to believe what just happened. Like, I know I just got in the tree, but I just arrowed the biggest buck of my life. And it was a dream, but I made a horrible shot. And, you know, and you instantly were like, you know, just have faith. You got an arrow in them. We are going to, we're going to put all the time we need in there to, to look for him. And, uh, you know, and you were asking if I need help. I said, no, we got to give him time, you know? So you guys stayed and, and hunted that morning. And, uh, <clears throat> I sat there for probably 15 or 20 minutes, just taking it all in, just being like, I can't believe that just happened. Like, like seriously, when you've tried for, you know, it's probably been going on 12 years that I've hunted, uh, devoted to hunting blacktails out of tree stands and, you know, and I've taken a few bucks, but considering the amount of time I put in, how many times I've gotten ticks and poison oak and, you know, and just sat for eight hours in a day and not seen a single animal to have like a black tail buck of a lifetime within your wheelhouse and to get that opportunity and to, to get a legitimate ethical shot to make the, the, what you felt was your best attempt at it and to have that buck step forward. Um, I mean, I, I am not afraid to say if I made a bad shot and that's possible that that could have happened, but you know, honestly looking at it, I really, I watched that buck take a step right as I released the arrow and my arrow was going, you know, from where it hit him, it was perfect height. It was just back. And, uh, I just, you know, I think that that's what happened and that stuff can happen and it takes, you know, the arrow a little while to get there. But the good news is that this whole day and this whole trip was meant to be, because like you said, James, we had never hunted together. This is our first day ever hunting together. Yeah, I get up in the we've, tree. We've the, shot arrows. You know, we've been to three D shoots together and shared camps together and stuff. But it's our first hunt together. And I just am like, blown. My mind's just blown. You know, like I can't believe that that hit me more later. But um, so after about twenty minutes, I get down. And you had, uh, you had more. Deer, didn't, you have more didn't you have more deer come by you? yeah so that's what i was getting to is i basically like 20 minutes later i'm like okay i'm gonna get down and i'm gonna just go sit over like i was where this ridge runs out he was on one side of it going paralleling the the way the ridge was running i was like i'm gonna go on the other side of the ridge out the end of it and i'm gonna go sit off the edge of this bedding area because i think he might loop around and try to bed there and i thought if i get there quickly then I can just sit there and maybe he might, who knows, I might get lucky and he might come out my way and I might get a, a chance, another chance at him. And so I start climbing down and I get about halfway down the tree and I hear, I hear footsteps and more deer are coming this time from the other direction and on the, the trails that I was hoping the deer would come by. 
and it's a fork and horn buck chasing a doe. And I mean, he chases her and they stop right in front of me and he's got his head down and he ruts her in a circle around. And then he turns and chases her right to me. And they run like literally within probably four yards of me. And I got uh, my phone out and actually got some video of it. I posted it on my Instagram account of that buck running by. Um, and uh, it was, it was super cool. They went by and then I got down and I snuck after they kind of went their own way, I snuck a different, the way I wanted to go out the other side of that ridge. And I jumped a few more deer when I went down there, there was, there was some deer there too. So, I mean, this spot that I was in was definitely a a great location. And, uh, I ended up, um, going, sneaking down. I was almost to where I wanted to be, um, to sit down and wait for that buck and give him, I was going to give him, you know, a good four or five, six hours before I went and looked for blood and stuff. And, uh, so I'm almost to the spot where I want to be. And I look up and that buck is standing there looking at me and he had looped around that ridge and went right exactly where I thought he might go and was like literally walking to me, but he had heard me. He sees me. And I just see him turn and, and run away. And I didn't, see, I could only see him for like a second or two. I couldn't tell if he was hurt or what, how he ran. I just saw him turn and disappear. And so I went up there to where the tracks were thinking, maybe there's a different buck. Um, but it was a big buck. I could tell it was a real big buck. And I went up there and sure enough, there's blood right where those tracks are. And I'm like, gosh, dang it. I can't believe that. Like I should have, you know, I should have either got there quickly and done it or I shouldn't have gone at all. Um, and just waited, but regardless i ended up um i ended up realizing okay well now i really have to like give him a lot of time and so i saw where his tracks were going from where i'd just seen him so i marked that and then i i backtracked his tracks all the way back to where i i had seen him bail off that ridge and there was pretty good blood the whole way i was able to follow blood all the way back i mean it wasn't like pouring blood but there was you know steady drops and you could tell he was moving slow like he was walking and the blood was just kind of dripping out um from the the way the blood trail was and so i followed that all the way back up looked where i looked for my arrow for probably three or four hours and i followed the trail i did the trail back and forth it was about four or five hundred yards that buck had gone from where i had shot him to when he like we bumped back into each other and uh i could not find my arrow i mean i looked i thought for sure when he bailed off that cliff that the arrow would go flying out if it was still in him or it would break but i never did find the arrow and so i ended up uh trying to think you guys were staying i told you guys just stay in the stand because i was assessing the situation after you bumped him uh you decided you're gonna hike out of there and so i i got a hold of dave and started hiking, got, I got out of my tree, packed up my stand, and started heading up to Dave. And I hooked up with Dave, and we were sitting there waiting for you, because you were a few miles away. And me and Dave were sitting there eating a granola bar or something. And here comes a, I hear something running at us, like, running at us. Dude, it sounded like, like a mountain lion or something, like just charging at us, like coming through the brush. And it was a huge buck chasing a doe at like 35 miles an hour i mean just full lot they turned a corner and they were burning out like the buck like he lost his footing and he almost like fell and rolled 
and he was like burning out and leaves were going everywhere and he was chasing after there was another little buck and two does and they were just racing through the woods and I was like oh my gosh holy moly it is on and uh I thought Dave was gonna go like after him and I didn't know Dave like I just met Dave and I was like I didn't really want to seem like a hog and like like he was kind of in front of me and I was like, he was like 20 yards in front of me sitting down and I was take, I was changing clothes. I was taking layers off and I was like, is he going to go after this, those bucks? And he didn't. And then I, I went up to him. I'm like, you didn't go after those bucks. And he was like, I, I don't know. And I was like, I don't know. And then you showed up and we like went back to the truck and I kept thinking about those, that buck. And I was like, I should be going after that buck. So I, I went back down there and I s snuck up to where it had been like a few hours since I'd seen him last, but I saw where they'd went, where they went up onto this bench. And so I just literally, everything was like crispy. And I like snuck up there, like, like, you know, take one step and then look for another place to put my foot, foot, try not to make any noise. And I just took about an hour and I got up there. And I could hear him still chasing up on the bench. I was like, oh, man. And I was scared to go up there because there was no cover and, and there was tons of stuff in my way. So I took my antlers out and I just went, clack, 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 clack. And then I set him down. And sure enough, within like two minutes, that buck just came right to me. But he just stayed in the really thick brush and did not present a shot. And he did a circle. He came back around me, under me, and he got my wind and he ran off. Um, and I was like, it was dark and I hiked out of there and, and I know you're just like nervous, Nelly. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was still a fair amount that had taken place for me at, you know, before that time, what, you know, cause I had jumped that buck and, uh, early, that was early in the day when I bumped him and then I gave him, you know, I think I gave him six hours and looked for my arrow. Oh, that's time. right. And, you bumped him again. That's right. And then I went back and followed his track down and across this drainage. <clears throat> and probably from where I bumped him originally, it took me a while. The blood, like, because he was running at that point or trotting, I had a really harder time following him. And because there wasn't, it was really hard to see his track. So I was primarily following blood. And, uh, but I was able to follow, uh, stay on his, on his trail for another it's probably 500 yards, four or 500 yards. So he'd probably gone about 800 yards total. And, uh, by this time it was later in the afternoon, you know, it took me hours to follow him. And, uh, I get up to the, the spot where I'm like seeing some blood and I'm like, okay. And I look up and I see the buck and he is hunt. Like he's moving away from me, but he's not moving very good. You know, I can tell he's hurting. He's hunched up and he's, he just kind of like humbled, wobbled off, you know, like out of sight. And I remember I called you instantly. I'm like, dude, like this, it was about, I don't know, it was probably two or three hours from dark. Um, and I talked to you and you're like, dude, just, just leave him, leave him be. He's going to go like a little ways and he's yeah. going to die. It's we'll cold out more. too. Yeah. yeah. It was super cold out. There's going to be like well into the, I think it was going to be below freezing yeah. that night <clears throat> and uh you're like dude he once he finds a spot to lay down he's not gonna he's not gonna live so 
and he hadn't gone like the first time it was looking like he was going to bed at about 400 yards. And the next time I got into where I saw him, I could tell he had been standing there and was probably just hurt to standing there. And what come to find out the arrow was still in him and was hanging out. The only thing holding it in was the fletchings were hanging it in just inside of his uh, left hind quarter. And, uh, so we left that night and I ended up, you're like, just get out of there. Try not to bump them at all. And, uh, so I ended up, <clears throat> you guys came and picked me up. Remember I ended up having to make a loop out of there. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I looped out of there and when I looped out of there, I went completely this other direction from where the buck, where I seen the buck and I looped around and I jumped this deer and it's a buck by itself, a big buck. And I see, I see it and it just bounds off and runs in this completely other direction. And I'm thinking like, Oh no, is that the buck that I just hit? Because the way he, where he, way he was facing and the way he came from was like the buck could have done like a J hook around and I could have bumped into him. And I thought it was the same size. It was a big body. So I walked up to where that buck, where I jumped him and I looked at his tracks and I couldn't see any blood. I followed him for probably about a hundred yards and I marked it just in case that was the buck that I hit. But I'm like, if that's the buck I hit, that buck didn't act hurt at all. I mean, he bounded off just fine. And so I started thinking in my head, you know, like when I saw the buck like wobble off or, you know, act hurt, I only saw him for probably two or three seconds. So I didn't get, and I'm like, maybe he was just kind of running funny, you know, like maybe yeah. he was had your his head down and was just kind of like. playing tricks on you at this point, right? Yeah. Totally, totally. And I mean, on top of this, we had been staying up talking about hunting all that time, like the weeks leading up to this. I got sick. You know, I think partially I wasn't sleeping much. I was so excited. You know, we got down there and I was like, really, really not feeling good. Um, you know, I, I had a horrible headache and I remember having a cough and everything and just after hiking and not eating much. And I was just like completely drained and depleted emotionally and physically. But yeah, so you had your deal and then we met back up and we went back to camp that night. We, uh, we talked, I drew a picture of the buck just cause I knew you guys would not believe, like I was having a hard time describing it. Oh, I love and that. What he looked like. Yeah. You, you drew him perfectly. And I was like, what the heck? Yeah, I know. I know that if I saw it, I would be doubting it too. But, um, yeah, and so and I was, ended up I was, there. I was like, we're getting that buck tomorrow for sure. Guaranteed buck in the truck, I kept saying. You did, and I was very skeptical about it. I just was not feeling that way. But I'm I'm like when it's me and the animal that I've shot, I'm I'm the worst. I'm I don't know why I'm I'm negative with myself. I'm positive with other people. I'm like the same way, but I that's just how I, I am for whatever reason. I don't know. It's just a fear of losing that animal. It's like the worst thing in the world. You know, that's the last thing you want as a hunter. Um, so with the rut yeah. full swing, we decided that you would go look for your buck and we would still go hunt for the first couple hours of the morning because it really no reason not to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it made the most sense. We, you guys had, you got on that buck, you know, almost got a shot at that buck. Yeah. So we were you rattled in. We were hiking in. We were hiking in in the in the morning. Yeah, and the second day. Second day, and that buck was standing there with the doe. 
and uh, in the headlights, in the yeah. he- in the headlights, and we walked past them, and I was like, dude, there's a buck just tending a doe over there, and we went back and we checked to see if he's still standing there. He's still standing there, and we're like, well, someone should just monkey up one of these trees right here. And I was like, well, I guess it's me. And you you would uh, let me use your saddle setup because you were uh, going to be looking for your buck that day. So I had the saddle set up, and I, it was my first time, and I kind of practiced with it the night before because I knew that was the plan. And uh, so I monkeyed up that tree in the dark, and when it got light, uh, those deer were still, you know, within 100 yards of me, and I, I called at them, and they just came in with the wind wrong. Um, so. Yeah, that, yeah, it was funny because we saw them, and then we we had plans to sit elsewhere, right? Like, yeah. I think when he, you were going to, somebody was going to sit, or you were going to sit where you were the day before, but we're walking, and I, I get a, we get about 50 yards past them, and I'm like, I'm like, James why would we leave a buck to go find another buck? Like we knew this guy was around here rotting all day. And, and I'm so. pretty sure that that buck that was sending the doe was the same one that I just rattled in the night before. Uh, yeah. He'd come off that bench. Which just goes to show yeah. you, you know, when, when you do get on a, a hot doe like that or in buck, like it's usually a, you know, a 12 hour cycle yeah of them you know or maybe longer where they're they're going to be together so i mean that was a good learning thing that i learned you know is yeah. to to take note of that don't don't just walk away from it and so but, i hunted know. for i don't know three hours that morning four hours three hours and yeah why i searched you guys started yeah. grading well, Dave, Dave hunted the whole time too. I went by myself yeah. and I went and looked for that buck and, uh, I started where I had left off and I didn't, uh, I didn't go straight to where I had seen him. I was trying to follow blood to where I saw him, which was really hard, which tells me that he started moving fast again. Whenever he was, you know, moving quicker, there wasn't as much blood coming out or fluid to follow. So I couldn't follow. Literally, I found the last blood, and to, from where I had last blood to where I saw him was about a hundred yards, and it was wide open. Um, and I walked through there. I spent a lot of time, and I couldn't find. I think I've maybe found like one drop of blood, or no, it was like gut juice, is what it was. And then I ended up, you know, kind of getting a line of where I thought he was headed, and uh, there was kind of one trail that kind of came out this area that I had found a, I found another piece of gut juice, I think. And, and it was basically from there, it was like, he could have gone really two or three different directions. And I walked all those trails and I'm thinking, I'm just going to have to grid and find this buck. Like he's probably not good the way he's bleeding. I'm thinking I'm not going to have much sign of that. So one of the trails that he could have gone would have been to the left and hooking to the left, which went up to where I jumped that buck. And when I walked it, it went right to where that buck was. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. So I instantly started thinking that was the buck and he wasn't as hurt as I thought he was. And maybe he's like really going to just go forever. This is what I'm thinking anyway. And so, but I'm like, I need to go rule out those other spots first. So I went down the most obvious trail that I thought he would go down and I hit that old road where you guys ended up meeting me. But, uh, and I, you know, and I saw some trucks, tracks in the mud, but they're frozen at this point because it was super cold that night. And I'm like, I don't know if these are his and there wasn't any blood. And so I didn't really take too much 
heart to the to those tracks and i i started it was opened up i could see it was open and down in the oaks and uh <clears throat> i could probably see 60 or 70 yards and as i did that <clears throat> you know i was looking around i'm thinking well if he died here i'll be able to see him and so i just walked one time through it you know all the way through that looking and i could see a long way so i thought you oh, know he's not in here and i went all the way down to the creek bottom he was headed to a creek so i thought you know he's probably going to die down there I walked the creek bottom up and down. I started gritting thicker stuff, and my mind's just thinking, no, I cannot lose this deer, I cannot lose this deer. And so I ended up saying, you know, I think at that point I had done about five or six miles, and I needed some help. And um, I was really getting tired and kind of, you know, just uh, frustrated. And so it was getting warm outside up, too. Yeah, it's getting warm outside too. So I'm just like starting to freak out. And, um, I ended up, you know, texting you guys saying, you know, if you guys don't mind, come, come help me look. But in the meantime, while you guys, you guys were a long ways from me. So it took you a couple hours to get to me. So while you were headed your way to me, I went back and I said, you know what, I'm just going to really get on my hands and knees where I saw him and look for stuff. And I, I went and I followed and I, it was tons of oak leaves. So there was no tracks to follow really. That were very, it was very hard anyway. But that made it nice because if something fell on the oak leaf, you could see it. And I found I found one tiny little drop of gut juice on this trail, and I you could smell it. It smelled like guts, and I knew for a fact. And this was past where I'd seen him, so I knew he went there. And from there, there was two trails. It was either hooking to the left and going to where I jumped the buck on my way out, that ran like nothing happened, or it was the other trail. And uh, so I went and I followed that up to where I saw that buck and I followed it all the way up to this fence. And, uh, well, the, I lost the track. There was no blood. And I was just kind of following where that buck ran looking for a dead deer and I didn't find anything. So I went back and I met you guys there where that gut juice was. And I, you know, kind of gave you the rundown. I showed you where I'd went and it's kind of funny because the most obvious spot for that buck to go was, kind of straight down the trail and into those oaks, which is where I walked at first, but I only went through it once. And I told you guys that, and I said, you know, and to the left of there, I didn't really go to the left of there. I said that he could have gone in there. So why don't you guys, but at this point I'm convinced that the buck I hit was the one I jumped. And I think that he was fine and he was going to run a long ways. I'm going to have to like, yeah, like you guys were having, far away. you guys were having granola bars and you were like pretty much convinced. You're like, I think I didn't get a good shot, man. I think he's fine. Is kind of where you were leaning. You're like, ah, I think he's going to be all right. And, and I was like, no, nah, he's got to be dead. He's going to be the creek. And I was like looking at your guys' uh, phone with the grid and I was like, oh, yeah, you've covered a lot of ground. And I was like, but no one's been in the creek. And I think you decided you needed to go up on top where he'd ran, where you thought he'd ran to for the last grid up on top. And then, yeah, because yeah, I, I thought I was going to have to look for where he ran, you know, where I last saw him running. I did go to the creek. I went and I walked the creek, but there was, yeah, know, but there was, a, se there was a section I think that you hadn't. And so we, we me yeah, and Dave, were, right. there was a section you hadn't. So Dave was going to go down to, to the, to, to one side of it and I was going to work my way to the other side of it was the plan and me and Dave were going to look low and you were going to look high but then I kind of was like <laughs> let me let me tell this part let All me right. tell this part 
from my perspective, I feel like it's better anyway. So I send those guys into the area that I didn't cover, which is probably like the most obvious, but it's pretty open. And so then I end up, I'm convinced the buck is the one I jumped on my way out at the very last. And I, and if that is the buck that I hit, then I know I'm going to have to go way out there and start gridding out in this area. I haven't been. So I start heading out there and I'm walking up there and I'm at this point, I'd done eight miles. I was beat. I was sick. I had the worst headache in my life and I'm emotionally just drained and so distraught. And, uh, I'm walking up there and I had been praying, you know, to God just all day that night before. And, just, you know, just praying that, you know, if I did wound him, that he would be okay. And if, if not, that I would be able to find him. And, you know, I remember walking up there and just was praying and then my nose just starts pouring blood. Like I got a bloody nose on my way up there. And I'm just like as miserable as I've ever been thinking like, this just sucks. And I end up, I end up getting a text from you or no, did you, you called me, right? You, yeah, you're calling me. And I'm like, I didn't even get, I mean, I'm not even a hundred. I mean, I'm maybe 200 yards from you guys. I didn't get very far. I was just heading out there and I get a call from you. I'm like, why is he calling me? So I answer it and you're like, dude, we got blood. And I'm like, no way you have blood. And he's like, yeah, we got blood. Get down here. I said lots of blood. I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah. Lots of blood. You said, yeah. And so I'm like, I can't believe it. So I turned and I'm like running, you know, like I get down there and I get to where you're at and I'm like, where's the blood at? And you're like, it's right here. And, uh, I'm trying to remember how all that went down, but I'm like, I'm like, where's the blood? He's like, Oh, it's right here. And I walk down there and all I remember is like walking past you. And I look and that buck is laying there dead. And I'm just like completely blown away that this deer was right here the whole time. I mean, where you found him was I've walked within 20 or 30 yards of him. I actually followed. Stuff. I actually followed his steps, where he went around the corner and down that road into the thick stuff, and then he just stood there, and then he turned around and he walked back up the road and he walked out into the oaks and died. You know, and that was uh, that was a good learning experience for me. I was so emotionally invested and just you were like a hundred yards from him. <laughs> Yeah, from where that from where that last drop of the gut juice was was not even a hundred yards. Yeah. It was probably fifty yards, sixty yeah. yards. And but I had convinced myself that that other buck was him, and that he was not as hurt as I thought. And, and, and uh, you know, and I talked myself into that. The day and before I showed up, like before I found I ran into your buck, or before I ran into you guys. Just below you on that bit, that bench, as I was coming up out of that steep creek, I told you there was a monster buck with some does up on that upper bench towards that ridge. That might have been the one that you'd run into the that had ran off. There was just an absolute giant up there. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that was. I mean, it was an incredible uh, experience from going to like the lowest of lows to the absolute highest of highs. I've never had a shift that strong before. And that buck, um, that buck was exactly the way you drew him on the paper to the T, like exactly the way. And it's a strange looking configuration. And uh, yeah, so it was pretty cool. It was, you know, honestly, James, it was one of those times in my life where it's like, I know that God had his hand in it. 
and that that day was was made not just for me but for you and for Dave. Um, that was like a such that's oh it's such a special moment and memory for me. I mean, not to get sentimental about it, but when you put that much time and effort in, and you know what it takes for that to happen, and for you and I to be the first time we hunt together to have that and to have you come like you come and actually find the back. Um, like, I don't know. I mean, to me, that's, we were friends before, but yeah, after that, special. I don't see yeah. how I couldn't, couldn't make you like one of my best friends. After yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty special, man. Uh, it kept me going all season long. I went on to hunt many, 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 many days for blacktails this year. I, I, I think I rattled in six bucks, which is, I'm lucky to rattle in one a year to have six rattle in six bucks in a year was, it was pretty outstanding. And man, I, I can't begin to say all the stuff we learned. I mean, we were still, even after you killed your buck, we were still on the phone a lot and we were still, uh, trying to, to dissect what these deer were, are doing. And it's, uh, it's, it's fun sharing this friendship with you for sure. And our passion for these deer, cause they're, they're so, uh, elusive and and not very many people pursue them and so and and for, yeah. for you and, and, and not and not very many in the manner in the ways that we've been we've been hunting them i mean it is such a small percentage and not saying that we're doing something better than other people but I, that's the fun part to me is not it's it's hunting blacktails fun anyway right but then hunting them the way that we hunt them is it's a strategic game that uh, is a lot of fun. And we don't have to worry about you hunting them anymore because you retired on the mountain that day. I remember you said you were done. <laughs> you quit. Well, well, when you accomplish a goal that <laughs> is like a lifelong goal, you know, I would definitely, my mind was, I was not, I was emotionally drained, emotionally ecstatic. And, uh, you said I quit. I, mean, I, black I don't want to quit. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. This is good. Well, you know, I definitely, the Lord blessed me beyond anything that I ever have deserved with that buck. And if I never did get to hunt another day of blacktail hunting, I've accomplished, you know, what well, I've wanted to. You it's know, such a point, cool, it's, it's such a cool buck because he, you, you killed him with your longbow, with a saddle on public land on your first sit and your first time being in that I mean, that's a spot you've scouted, but in that first time hunting with you, I mean, yeah. all these first, yeah, yeah you mean, just put yeah. it and you, and you just put it all together. You went, you know, you kind of knew that that you had high hopes on that spot. That's why you were anxious to get to it and, and it paid off and, um, you know, it, it was just, uh, yeah, it was really special to be a part of for sure. Um, and it, that area is just special. So it's, it's cool. Yeah, buddy. I'm so grateful. Still am for you and Dave both to sacrificing your hunting time to come help me look and find that buck. I mean, obviously without a, without you guys, it would have been, I would have liked to think I would have found it, but you know, the cool thing, coolest thing about it too. I mean, when we found that buck and we, you know, immediately got in there and started getting the animal taken care of. I mean, we did not lose any meat at all No. for that. You don't normally wouldn't lose. There was some meat I lost from where the arrow you know, hit, uh, had to hit the hind quarter and, right. and there was some guts in there where the arrow was, but yeah. that's normal when you yeah. kill an animal. Yeah. No, he so, was... I mean, to be able to recover all the meat and everything work out like just like a dream was, 
Did, so did, cool, did man, we figure did. out he'd clipped the the liver and, and one lung or something or I forget? No, no, it was, it looked to me like it was a gut shot and it didn't, I mean, it hit one of the arteries in that left hind quarter. Yeah. I think was why he bled as much as he did. did. But that arrow, I think what really did the damage was when he bailed off that hill, he was jumping so aggressively and so fast but that arrow was literally just churning in his guts, like doing the, but we never, you you never recovered the broadhead, the whole arrow, but no broadhead. Remember? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I think that that might've unthreaded or I don't know. Broke. I can't remember, but that's weird. Yeah. That was weird. Yeah. Well, that's a special buck and he's going to be a hard one to top, but I can guarantee you we'll be be trying. I tell you what, if I never top him, I will be, completely happy and uh just being out in the woods and being able to to hunt those bucks the way that we hunt them is the fun part and the exciting part yeah you were uh uh, you were also able to take dave up into another one of your good spots and dave arrowed uh his first black tail buck his first archery kill Uh, and it was a beautiful buck so um two bucks uh three guys in camps pretty good uh i had to I only got to hunt for three days. I ended up having to go home for family stuff and work, but um, well, it was. We awesome were there trip. only four days. I mean, Dave. So I I had to take care of my buck, kind of the next day, and I didn't. I dropped Dave off in a, in a new spot. Just we went and tried a different area, and because we knew that storm was coming, and uh, so the day that that storm was coming, I we had a spot in mind, a really good spot in mind that we wanted Dave to be and. So we went in that morning. Um, I packed him in there and got him all set up in the tree stand. I carried it in for him because he's like in his 60s, you know, and, and uh, he still gets around great. But I didn't have anything else to do. So I, I carried him, uh, carried a stand up there, got him set up, and I left. And he killed his first animal with a bow that night, a really nice blacktail buck. And uh, Jack and I were able to go in there and, and pack it out with him. And, and that moment coming off that mountain with him, his first animal with a bow, we were standing up on the ridge and it was snowing. And it was like the clouds were low. I, you just had to be there. It was super scenic. And I remember telling Dave, I said, look out there right now. I said, like, this is as alive as we will ever feel right now. It's packing a buck out in the snow in November like that and just it was just a special day, a special time that we, that was his third year going down there trying and to be a part of helping him get his first animal at the age of 60 with a bow. He's killed lots of deer and elk and it was like, it was his first time again, the smile and excitement in his eyes was something I'll never forget. Yeah. And when it's, when it's good down there, it's good. I mean, that's, that's just kind of how it is. You got to be down there when it's happening. we timed it just right this year, man, and and we got we're very fortunate with that for sure. Yeah, and so like I'd mentioned, I went on to I hunted blacktails in I believe five different units this year, and I, I think I had about thirty days of blacktail hunting uh, over a long period of time because I had the Willamette tag as well. Um. You know, I had some close encounters. Uh, I don't think I had any shots. No, I don't think I had any shots. But I learned a lot and looking forward to trying it again. I'm definitely going to invest in a uh, harness. I'm looking at that uh, tethered, their new Phantom. 
And some yeah. wild, wild edge steps and probably a tethered platform, I think, is uh, the setup I'm going to go with. Um, tree stands are pretty obsolete once you start messing around with the saddle. Yeah, that uh, that is definitely a game changer. I I won't be going. I mean, I still have some, but I'm, I'm going to be sticking with that down the road. And, you know, <clears throat> putting in all those hours like you did and coming up empty-handed, it's just going to make it that much sweeter when it does happen. And it seems like I've had some years that are definitely that way. And then sometimes you'll have one year like that where it's the first time you come out. Yeah. Boom, you just get oh, blasted yeah. right off the Yeah, I killed with I, some I, cool... I killed a buck after sitting a hundred hours and then I killed a buck after sitting two hours one year. So yeah, you just never, yeah. you just never know, never know, never know. But, um, and it's, it's, it's nice to get it done early, but then it's also kind of, you're kind of like, ah, it's over already. So, uh, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's a blessing and a curse. I know we just love being out there and love talking about them and love learning about them. And, um, we're going to try, to get this uh, uh, biologist, um, Dr. Dwayne Jackson, he's agreed to do an interview with us. And um, I had already told Bob that we wanted to have you in on that uh, interview because we're both so passionate about blacktails. And so hopefully we're going to arrange to get him on next week and talk more about the biology of blacktails and, and, and some strategies and and kind of learn a little bit more about the deer. Yeah, that that is something we could talk for hours about. We don't need to open that can of worms right now, but that is something that we've spent a lot of time talking about. And I think that, yeah, we learned, we've learned a lot, not saying we know it all by any means, but there's some really interesting things to think about and talk about that I would like to I would definitely like to be a part of that. Yeah, and that, that one of the resources, you know, obviously there's very little blacktail content out there and what there is we've consumed a hundred times. Um, so we, we look at the whitetail content and we're looking at yeah. whitetail hunters that are hunting public land um, and we're looking at whitetail hunters even more so if they're hunting public land mount, mountain bucks as they refer to them as so we really put a lot of uh um time into consuming that content um and i know that the exodus trail camera radio that podcast they've had some really good interviews uh with some top-notch whitetail hunters that are uh mobile hunters which is you know what we're trying to uh to uh, learn how to be and um so that that's what else what what are some other places we've you know kind of learned from yeah i mean i would say um you know the hunting beast like you you said dan infault uh yeah um oh gosh whitetail habitat solutions is one of my favorite ones i I, think he's got a lot of great content yeah what's his name um Oh my gosh, Jeff Sturgis. Jeff Sturgis, that guy is awesome. He has some very great uh, information and easy to digest. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, hunting yeah, public. And, yeah. I like the hunting public guys. Those guys are a lot of fun to, to follow, and uh, they have a great attitude uh, on hunting, and and are really good mobile hunters. They hunt the ground. They hunt saddles, tree stands, ground blinds, brush blinds, whatever it takes to get it done. So those guys are fun. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the reality of it is the whitetail world has so many more. They just have a lot more information, and, and even though they're a little bit different species, the the deer and the way they behave and the way that they survive, and the there's just a lot more information, and I think a lot of it is translatable to what we're yeah. doing. It's not 100%, but uh, yeah. there is a lot of stuff that we've applied that has been very applicable. For sure, definitely. And so, yeah, that's... Uh kind of uh, a, a little look into blacktails in Oregon and kind of how we feel about them. Yeah. I, uh, I am now on my, my next mission. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I have a hard time having thinking about not being able to go back down to where we were and do what we did last year, but I do want to try to get one of these bucks on the coast here. Cause they are like a whole nother creature. It seems like. Yeah, and what Matt's referring to is instead of driving down to uh, the unit that we hunt that's more of a blacktail deer unit, hunting the deer on the coast, there's a lot less of them, and it's a, a lot brushier of a habitat, and it's a, even a, another uh, skill set to hunt a deer when you, you have a lot less of them around. You know, having one deer per square mile versus six or seven, it, it can can be a, a lot tougher hunt absolutely yeah and they just seem to not move as much they kind of i don't know and they're a lot more you just don't see them as much you know the some of it's the terrain i think some of it's how they how they operate too you know they're just they like to be antisocial. they don't like to be around those they like to be by themselves in areas where they're safe yeah um, so yeah, if you're, if you're, uh, listening to this and you want to get into blacktail deer, you know, you might be an out of stater and you want to come out and experience it one time in your life. And, um, you know, Scott Haugen, uh, has a really good book, uh, Boyd Iverson hunting trophy blacktails too. Uh, one of my favorite books, I think Cam Haynes put a book out. There's very, there's very little, um, information, uh, to be found on them, um, but if you see a blacktail buck with this double white throat patch and his chocolate antlers all rutted up in November, man, there's not a prettier animal on this planet, in my opinion. I just, they're just not, there just isn't. Yeah, they are, they're my favorite too. I mean, they definitely, they are what I dream about when I think of, you know, what's my favorite animal to hunt. It's definitely the blacktail hands down. Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, coming on and, and sharing this. And I uh, hope we can get you back on again soon to do uh, a uh, episode with the biologist. Thanks James. I, I really appreciate the opportunity um, and your friendship, like we mentioned. And uh, I, I hope I get the opportunity to do that with you too, because I've got a, a pretty long list of questions I want to ask him. Yeah, definitely. And I hope everybody's staying safe out there. And hopefully we'll go back to uh, a normal world soon where we all get to get out and spend time together shooting bows and arrows. Yeah, let's do it. All righty.
quiver's full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snow-capped peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. I'm a downdoor junkie through and through, hunts my middle name. My eyes are on the target, broadheads all fly true. Can't wait till I can get outside so I can fling a few. Thank you. 